Hello, friends, and welcome to the Women of YouTube podcast, where we are sharing stories of women YouTube creators in order to inspire other women to start creating. In each episode, we deep dive into why these women chose YouTube to create on, their struggles, their successes, and of course, get real about what happens when you're a female creator on the internet. This podcast is brought to you by TubeBuddy, your best friend on the road to YouTube success. Now let's get into it with your hostess, Desiree Martinez. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. All right, y'all, I know that's really terrible, but that's kind of like where I'm at. Like I'm in such like a good, pumped up, ready to treat you to the amazingness that is Rachel K. Albers. But I just got back from Vid Summit and it just like touched my heart in so many amazing ways. Not only did I get to be around like insanely amazing creators for three days, but I also got to do some really fun things like this awesome woman named Salma who will be on the show. She arranged for me and other group of women to get together and we did this women in video sort of like series interview for her YouTube channel over at YouTube studios in LA. That was truly amazing. And then of course I interviewed a bunch of these women for this podcast, which you will hear later. But honestly, guys, if you are interested in video at all, like you have got to check out VidSummit. It will rock your face. Just like this woman, Rachel K. Albers, is going to do in our interview today. Sometimes you just meet people that just like touch your heart and your soul in like a very unique and impactful way. And Rachel did that to my funny bone. Like the entire time we were together, it was filled with sassiness and comedy and humor. And we're going to bring hopefully some of that to you in today's uh, podcast, which which is really good. Like I, I get to edit and listen to these over again because I'm putting it all together for you. And it's just so very good. So let me tell you about Rachel. Rachel K. Albers is the creative director of RKA Inc., a creative studio based outside of Chicago. Rachel has helped hundreds of thought leaders and visionary entrepreneurs all over the world stand out online without selling their soul or playing the manipulation game. When not crafting epic, unforgettable brands for her clients, Rachel hosts Awkward Marketing, a business comedy show blending fun-sized small business advice with storytelling and sketch comedy. Think of her as your one-woman SML of biz. TV. And y'all, I can tell you with like all seriousness, she crushes. And we're going to dive into her whole thing. Like I highly encourage you to go check her out on YouTube under her awkward marketing, meet her alter evil villain ego, Brad, and his, you know, seven figures in seven minutes. Like it's just all hilarious. Uh, before we dive into the interview, guys, do me a very solid like favor and go over to iTunes and give us five stars and a positive review. I would greatly appreciate it if you have liked this show so far because it's going to help us to share more stories of women creators in the future and get us in front of more people. I really would appreciate that. So now let's dive in to this awesome interview. I cannot express to you how excited I am to have you on this podcast, RK. Cannot wait to tie in to Women of YouTube Life with you. It's probably the moment I've been waiting for my whole life. <laughs> I think and that's actually how I felt, I think, when I met you, like very much a where have you been all my life. And I'm very positive everyone after they hear this is going to be like, same. <laughs> I get so. that a lot. I get that a lot. But only you give me the, the heart palpitations that I feel right now. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. Tell us why YouTube? 
why not you two? You know, why, why do we do anything in this world? Well, you know, what I think a lot of people don't think about when they're getting on YouTube is that YouTube is a search engine, right? So if you are doing any sort of content, um, people are worried about, oh, am I getting, is my blog getting found in search? Is my, you know, all these different things, but YouTube is a way that people search for information. So if you want to be found for the problems that you solve for your customers and your clients, you got to be tubing it on the you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so how did you get started with YouTube? Talk about that. Well, the truth is that I did, when I first got into the video game, I started it as a Facebook live show. Okay. Low barrier to entry. And this is what I do advise a lot of my clients who are getting started with any form of content is like, go for the lowest barrier to entry. And that's where I did my testing of concepts and my testing of what type of style and what type of topics really landed with my audience. Cause you get that immediate feedback. And with YouTube, when you're starting in the, in, you know, just starting from scratch, you don't always get that feedback right away. It takes some time to build up an audience. So once I had tested, you know, some concepts and I knew the direction that I wanted to head in with video and I was ready to invest in higher production quality and all that stuff, that's when I opened the doors on the old YouTube shack. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Okay. So I have to know in tandem with this, why did you decide to grow your business by making fun of your business? <laughs> Well, they say to play to your, you know, they say you got to tap into your unique strengths and making fun of myself and what I do is one of the, you know, it's, it's one of my zones of genius, Desiree. <laughs> um, but you know what I like to say about, especially the video element of how I create content and teach about marketing. And yeah, you're hitting on the fact that my show is making fun of the marketing industry. It's a lot of what we do, making fun of bad marketing tactics and the reason I felt like this is such a good fit for video specifically is that there's plenty of talking heads or, or writing heads, bobbing heads, you know, blogging heads out there talking about marketing, talking about what's wrong and how to do things right. And I felt like, no, there's a real opportunity for me to, instead of talking about these concepts, to become the concepts, like literally to don a wig get in front of my green screen and bring these concepts to life. And that's something that you can really only, you know, that video is a really great medium for is, you know, being able to show, not tell. So I just felt like, you know, I, I had to go there and I have a background in sketch comedy. I have a background in theater. So this was using a part of my skill set that, you know, I could contribute something new and unique to the industry. I, I like to say, it's not always what you say. I mean, a lot of people are worried about saying something new, like contributing something new to their, you know, the space. And it's like, no, you don't have to contribute something new. It's more about how you say it than what exactly you're saying. And so that's kind of what I did with my show. And it's, it's so funny. And I, hopefully by the time this comes out, her new season has started. She's in seasons, which I think is very smart, by the way, but probably against everyone in like the YouTube world where they're like, Ooh, you gotta do it every week. And if you take a break, you're going to kill your algorithm game. But I love that you keep us wanting more. 
Well, it's all for you, Desiree. So I'm glad that I'm doing something. Yeah, right. Like people. your thousands and thousands of subscribers you had before you met me. Like they don't matter. It was all for me. But I think that it's just really smart because, like, I I just came out of a video marketing world, and like the number one thing everyone talked about was like thumbnails and keywords, but also you know that consistency. And then I think that by making it your your show a season to build anticipation, give you the time to also create really good stuff and really hone in on your message, and also you know take that creative break is is a truly great, is a great way to go about doing it because that means you're creating with your audience in mind, not an algorithm. Right. And I think that there's a difference between approaching YouTube as a YouTuber versus approaching YouTube as a, one of the tools in your tool belt for building your, you know, for, for reaching new audiences and reaching new people. So I would definitely not consider myself a YouTuber. YouTuber in itself is not the end game. It's not being you know, YouTube isn't my goal. YouTube is a tool I use to reach my goal. So that's why I do things in seasons. Like, yes, I'm aware. If I was a full-time YouTuber, I would have a totally different strategy. I probably would not treat things like, like I do right now. Um, and I'd have, I, I, you know, but YouTube is just one arm of my overall marketing body. And so I do feel like it's important for people to think about, you know, you don't, you, you don't have to approach YouTube like a professional YouTuber. In fact, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, if you're a business owner, especially, and you want to use YouTube as part of how you're getting the word out, connecting with people, being found, you don't have to be creating videos every single day or every single week even um, for YouTube to work for you. So Okay, so I really want to unpack that a lot because... I feel very strongly about this and I want to discuss this more because this is the women of YouTube podcast, but you have said something very important here and that you are approaching YouTube, not to be a YouTuber, but as to make it a tool in your marketing tool belt. Now talk to us about how you're using YouTube as a marketing tool versus like the end all be all. Well, so YouTube views do matter to me, but here's one thing I'll say is that, you know, I do post my content um, on almost every platform. So I will, when I'm creating an episode of Awkward Marketing, I will create a YouTube version, a Facebook version, a LinkedIn version, an Instagram version, a Twitter version sometimes, although I'm going to be transparent, Twitter is not my jam. It's like my me least either. favorite. Me either. Same. But I do create versions for each of these different platforms. And my goal is more of let me reach everyone, as many people as possible, as many places as they already are. So YouTube, people are on YouTube and they are searching on YouTube, but YouTube's greatest value to me, to be honest with you, isn't the native YouTube views as much as it is embedding my YouTube videos in blog posts. And then I do a lot of promotion of those individual posts. So I don't have the numbers that a lot of YouTubers have in terms of my subscriber count because my, my channel is fairly new and fresh, but I do have the numbers in terms of view counts because I'm promoting my YouTube videos in lots of different ways off of YouTube. So my goal at the end of the day, isn't necessarily like, Oh, like, yes, of course I want to see my subscriber count grow. Of course I want to, you know, have people natively within YouTube finding me, but I am not relying on that for my reach. I am doing a ton of other promotion. And, and like you said, I do my show in seasons. So I only do typically about, let's say, um, 24 videos a year because they're really high production quality videos. And so I do reruns of the show and I'm doing like for every one video I produce, you can think I'm doing multiple weeks of promotion in lots of different ways on social podcasts, on lots of different places. 
and I'm repurposing that again and again to drive the, the viewers because you know, I'm not doing talking head vlog style videos. I'm doing sketch comedy that requires lots of editing, costumes, like lots and lots of stuff. So I just simply could not sustainably do an episode a week. And when I put so much time into a single episode, I need to then spend a ton of time promoting it because otherwise it's just not worth the investment in all of that production. Does that make sense? Oh, no, 100%. So I think that we could tie in like this into our next question, which is what has been your biggest struggle? Do you find that like producing such a high quality show, like essentially it's a sketch, like it's a full sketch act, every video that you do. Is that one of your bigger struggles or what it, what it to you has been an additional struggle for you? Um, Probably that part is is time consuming um, and challenging, you know, in its own right. But probably it's it's learning the YouTube culture, right? Because each platform, each social platform, has its own its own way of doing things, right? Different currency, different language, if you will, different way of relating to one another. So how you interact on Facebook is different than how you interact and grow a community on YouTube, and so you know, given that my YouTube is pretty fresh and it isn't my one dedicated thing, um, learning and adapting to YouTube culture is probably my number one struggle because I don't do this full time. So I, it's like, I'm always, and this is what I preach to my clients is you want to take any sort of marketing and you want to kind of start with a base and then layer on the next level of complexity and then layer on the next. And that's how I approach YouTube. When I started, I just threw a channel up and then over time I would, you know, start tweaking my thumbnails, start playing with the SEO, getting better at how I'm organizing the content, getting better at how I, you know, you know, the links in my channel and my calls to action and my end screens and all that kinds of thing. And like, I'm just constantly, every single time I put out a video, layering on one little bit, you know, bit by bit by bit as I go. So that's probably the biggest challenge. And it sounds like you're overcoming it by just like building upon your education with it. So and I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've done the same thing. Like I did 18 hard months on YouTube and then I was like, okay, let's go back through this and try and make what we currently have better. And like, how can we improve one, one tweak at a time? So exactly. I think a lot of people hold themselves back there. Like I have one friend who's so brilliant and he's wanted to start a show for years and he's, you know, texting me being like, okay, I'm really stressed about my channel art. What am I going to do for my trailer? And I'm like, dude, what you need to do is you just need to start producing videos and then go back and keep tweaking them and tweaking them and tweaking them. But if you're brand procrastinating your way into this perfectionism mode and you're trying to have everything perfect before you start your videos, you're going to, you're losing time, right? And, and actually it's going to be the, the audience feedback that's going to point you in the direction of where you need to go next. So you just got to get out there and just keep tweaking like you do. and like, I do and like I, we do. I'm going to need you to define something for me. What is brand? What did you say? It was like brand castinating brand crastination and crastination. Okay. How would you define brand castination? So it's like procrastination. One of my friends who's also a YouTube star, Holly Gillen of Holly G Studio, she calls it procrastiplanning. And it's basically the same concept where you're trying to, you're, you're in a perfectionist mode and it's your brain's way of keeping you from doing this, the big next scary thing. So maybe it's saying, oh, I can't launch my YouTube channel until I have perfect cover art. 
or you know, I do design and websites. Oh, I'm not going to launch my website until I tweak this button color to be the exact shade of orange I want it to be. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is your brain, your ego kind of holding you back from taking the next step with your brand by getting you into this procrastination mode where you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to focus on all these other things um, instead of actually doing what you know that you need to do to push you forward. So it's what, it's how we keep ourselves safe when we're afraid, but it's a brand killer and a business killer. Love that. So what has been the coolest thing about being a, a quote unquote YouTuber? Um, probably getting the you know, the more viewers I have and the more engagement that I have, the more fun ideas they come up with and throw at me. So I did a series, you know, earlier this year where I, I did a riff on the top five worst websites and I did kind of pop culture analogy sketches for them. And so I did a sketch on the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids website and the Leave it to Beaver website, the Jurassic Park website. And one of my friends had come to me and said, you know, you should do a video on Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, which if you're not familiar, was a big scandal where this woman like ripped off billions of dollars in investments on like a, a fake business that she had or, you know, a fraudulent business. So I did, I wasn't going to do her, but I did her as one of my top five worst websites, like the Theranos website and a, a riff on that. And it just got so much organic traction. And I never would have had that idea if I wasn't putting out videos and listening to my audience. So I love getting fun new ideas. I've got a huge like list of like a hundred things that people want to see me do next. And that's, that's really exciting. So let's dive into some of like our lady specific stuff. What are some lady only issues that you have faced as a YouTuber? Um, I'm going to give my, you know, kind of focus my question specifically on the fact that I implement comedy into my, um, into my videos, because I think, you know, you've got women specific YouTube issues, and then you've also got women in comedy specific YouTube issues and women in online marketing specific issues. And I, I think that, um, there's definitely a bro culture in the marketing world. There's a bro culture in the YouTube world. There's a bro culture in the comedy world. And so, you know, breaking through that bro culture and bringing your new, your own flavor to it is a challenge, you know, and, um, there's, there's, you know, you, we all know the bro YouTubers that I'm talking about. I'm not going to name any names, but there's kind of just this one really aggressive approach. Um, and it can be scary and challenging to kind of create your own, create your own formula, create your, and, and break through with your own voice, especially when these industries tend to, mm, let's say, lift up men's voices more than women's voices and women's, you know, you hear about women YouTubers and often it's just, you know, people assume that you're like a beauty YouTuber, which is not bad, by the way. I like, well, listen, I can't, I learned how to curl my hair thanks to beauty YouTuber. Like, I don't even know how to put on eyeliner. Thank you, YouTube. But there's an assumption that if you're a woman on YouTube, you're doing something in like what are traditionally known as like women central categories, like fashion, makeup, hair, that kind of thing. And, um, and it's the dudes in the marketing and business world who tend to get a lot of the, the credit and the, the, you know, the lifting up of voices. So that's what I'd say about that. 
find it very interesting that it isn't just a YouTube specific thing. I kind of feel like you could counter with like, you know, my husband who is on the track for stay at home dad life. You know, it's always my husband and all of these moms everywhere. And it's kind of, they kind of like isolate him, but also like, oh, he's such a cute husband taking care of his kids. And then I get it on the other end where it's like, why are you, like, you travel for work? Don't you miss your family? I'm like, would you ask a man that? Like, mm-hmm. I totally understand what you're saying there. So why do you think there is that controversy and struggle around like lifting up women in, you know, bro culture or quote unquote, like male centric topics? I mean, the state of our, the systemic problems that we experience when we go to the grocery store and we're, or we're going to vote or, you know, in schools or, you know, those problems bleed into every area of life. So YouTube is no different from that until we have, you know, until we have more progress on the social side of things and the way even that our government is set up and our political system is set up and whether it's in the United States or it's all over the world, we're going to see problems with sexism. We're going to see problems with, you know, women's voices not being lifted up until those things are addressed on a wider scale. Now, at the same time, I would also say that it is the internet that has, has democratized media in many ways and has given not just women's voices, but you know, any marginalized voice has given them a megaphone in a way that, like, it's giving me chills just to say this, that in, in times past has not been available to them. People of color, people of different abilities, the, the internet has given them us a, a place and has given them a platform um, to share their ideas and to change the world in a way that we just simply have not had before. So, you know, Yes, the problems that we experience on like a societal level are going to bleed into YouTube. But at the same time, YouTube is a tool for making the change that we need to see. So, we're, you know, women of YouTube are essentially going to use YouTube to dismantle the sexism on YouTube. How about that? You do know you, what I'm saying? Do you think that that needs to start by women who have non-traditional, like, as you said, like female-centric interest or topics or hobbies that they need to be on there representing for those people like we have beauty bloggers and mom bloggers and cooking blogs and all that kind of stuff so do you and do you think that maybe people who are like oh well i'm i'm a girl skateboarder or i'm a girl accountant or wall street hedge fund person or whatever like things that are traditionally much more dominant like do you think it's almost like look, ladies, you need to pick up the camera and get on these platforms and share that this is a space for you. So as a way to open it up for other people to feel that they can, other women to feel that they can do that too? Absolutely. I think that's definitely part of it. Although I will also say that, you know, both of us are speakers and one, you know, bringing this to the speaking realm one thing you hear a lot is the problem with diversity and inclusion on stages. Like so many events, it's like 95% white guys. And then you'll have like a couple of other, you know, other voices on the stage. And what a lot of event organizers will say is they'll be like, well, we tried to get more women, but they're just not out there. Like we just couldn't find any women speakers. And it's like, no, 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 
There are plenty, plenty, plenty of women speakers out there who are very qualified, engaging, and are going to pack a big punch. There are plenty of, of people of color speakers, all that kind of thing. So I don't think it, it's all, it's even necessarily that these voices aren't already out there, you know, sharing, you know, certainly, of course, we want more women sharing their stories from all walks of life, whether it is cooking blogs, because there's, there's, you know, or a mom blog or a beauty blog or it's something else. But I'm, I'd be willing to bet there's more women of YouTube skateboarders out there than we even know. And then it's a matter of all of us, anyone who has a platform, including women, being, you know, being vigilant and lending our, our hand to that person and helping to pull them up. Because I think oftentimes, like, we go to, our brains are conditioned to lift up a certain type of voice. And it's like, you know, if this is your goal and, and we want to make a more inclusive world, we have to be actively pursuing that inclusion. So just like you right now are doing this Women of YouTube podcast and you're lifting up women's voices, you know, we are here. We've been doing our thing, right? And you're just shining a spotlight on that, which I think is like even bigger part of the solution. And yeah, we're going to need men on board with that. We are going to, you know, we want our men allies to be also using their platforms to lift up women as well. Yeah, that is one of the things I am really like in love with with getting to do this. Like I was able to come to TubeBuddy and be like, Phil, because it's Phil that runs TubeBuddy. Like I want to do this. And he's like, I have three daughters. I want to do this for them. And so I think that having male partners to help us, I don't think we need a male partner or male to validate what we're doing or lift us up. But having that like additional support is definitely, I think, going to help us project that out and help people see that it's not about men and women. It's just about good content. Yeah. And I will say one thing that I do, like if I'm on a, on a podcast and I'm invited by a man to be on his podcast, I'll look at his previous guests and if I see a dearth of diversity, I, because I, I do consider it part of my responsibility as standing up for these issues to say, hey, you know, I've got a few people that I think would be a great fit for you. Um, and I'll connect this man to women, to people of color, to people of different, you know, different perspectives that may not have the same representation as the white guy in a suit. And if I have the, the type of relationship with someone where I can kind of push them a little bit, I'll say, hey, where are you at with diversity and inclusion? Is this on your radar? Um, and I'm happy to talk to these people about ways that they can have a more inclusive mindset. So I think if you have any position of, of authority or any position of, let's just say, uh, clout, and this is a, something you're passionate about. It's, it's also using your voice and your influence to nudge the conversation forward with the people in your life that, have all, that also have clout and have influence. So if I'm talking to a man who has, you know, I'm going to say to him, hey, I would love to see a little bit more diversity and inclusion in, your, in the stuff that you're producing, you know? Absolutely. I just wanted to take a quick minute and thank you for listening with a little something something from TubeBuddy. If you don't know, TubeBuddy is a free browser extension and mobile app for your YouTube account that helps you with finding the best keywords, create titles, A-B test your thumbnails, provides you with analytics, milestones, reporting, and so much more. 
If you have been inspired by the stories in today's podcast and you are ready to start creating, you don't want to do it without TubeBuddy. Get signed up with this free service at TubeBuddy.com forward slash women. All right, let's, let's lighten this up a little bit because we talked a lot of really powerful and important things. So what are some of your favorite tools that you use to help you create your videos? So I just upgraded my camera setup. Speaking of YouTube, oh my gosh, the rabbit hole of like camera reviews is, <laughs> but I actually, my videographer, uh, Andrew Shones of both and pictures, I just had a, he did some consulting with me and told me what to buy. Cause I was like, dude, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to watch a thousand videos about which lens to buy. So I just upgraded my setup, but I'll say this, a lot of people are shocked to find that my entire first three seasons of Awkward Marketing with the green screen and all of the wigs and all of the fun production, um, I shot it all on my iPhone. All of it was on my iPhone. Wow. Uh, Further proving. The only phone you need, is the only camera you need is the one you have. Exactly. I mean, seriously. And people are always telling me about the production quality of my videos because there is a lot of editing that goes into it. Don't get me wrong. But the camera was a freaking iPhone and it worked perfectly wonderfully. I did connect it with uh, a Yeti mic for sound. Um, so I did do that. And I'll tell you another trick, especially if you're doing higher production that like you're doing some sort of a green screen is I have a little video studio in my basement. And instead of doing soundproofing, which buying those soundproofing like blocks are super expensive. They're like 30 bucks per block and they're really small. We insulated my studio with moving blankets. So we just bought a bunch of moving blankets from like U-Haul or something and just, you know, basically nailed them to my ceiling and they're all surround. So if you go into my video studio, it looks like a real video studio, but it's moving blankets, um, which absorbs the sound. So that helps me when I'm shooting my sketches um, to create, you know, a better, because that's one thing I learned my first you know, batch of episodes, the sound was horrible and everybody was commenting on my sound. And so that's one layer I added. So moving blankets, such a cheap thing to do if you're, especially if you're doing a shoot in a studio to absorb sound and make your audio quality better. I think it's so funny if people knew what like your actual set looked like, not on the camera, I think everyone would just like die laughing. It's like for me, it's always like what you see in the camera is like very meticulously planned, but like my floor is covered in papers and puppies and there's lights and cables like all over the floor <laughs> and I too am in the process of trying to find, I'm going to use your moving blanket solution by the way for figuring out like the soundproofing thing. It always, it, it's pretty funny. If, if you, that would be a fun thing to probably share like on Instagram. Like, all right, guys, share your studios behind the scenes. What does it look like? <laughs> I love it. Do it. Yes. Yeah. So what is it that you film with now? What's your new fancy schmancy camera? Um, I got a Sony a6400 with a 24 millimeter lens. And so again, in terms of the layers, like going into the, you know, as I was doing my, my research, like I could have invested in like a six or $7,000 setup with the, you know, the higher, the, the better camera, the better lens, the lens I really wanted that YouTube sold me on. Um, it's, it's out of it's back, back order and I have mm. to record my new season. So I was like, okay, well that's good. That's a great, it helped me make my decision when I get to the new level next level and I'm getting even more ROI from my videos. That's when I'll do the six or $7,000 setup. Um, but I spent a few grand on this and it, I feel like it was the good next level up from the iPhone. Yeah, I had that too. I did my first year in Korea with a webcam and a window 
And then the second year I like built my setup when we moved to Vegas, bought a camera and lights and all the tripods and stuff. And then when I moved to Phoenix, which just happened, I was able to already have the existing stuff, but like I leveled up my lighting pretty well too. So I get that, that layering process. So we talked about a little bit before about how YouTube is not like, YouTube is just an arm of your distribution system. Tell us about your process for how you promote your new videos. So as I said, I have a version that I do on every social platform and I'll tweak how I position it depending on the platform, right? Like how I would position it on LinkedIn is going to be different than Instagram, which is a little bit more casual, a little bit more fun. And so all of my, my videos are business focused, but how I lean, which, which elements I'll lean on is different. So I've got, you know, a bunch of different posts for each platform. Um, of course I send it out to my email list. I also always create a bunch of gifts out of each of my episodes that I can then use in my emails. I can use on social. Um, and then I'll revisit them. So I'll revisit the, you know, I can turn any episode into like at least two blog posts, at least, you know, you know, 10 social posts. Um, and then I can turn them into quotables or I can turn my video into a meme or a multiple meme so I can revisit them later. Like, uh, a couple months ago, or like last month, there was the big thing about what Instagram was testing hiding likes in certain countries. Uh -huh. And so I woke up in the morning and I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, I've got an episode that's related to this. I'm going to turn that into a meme and I'm going to share that today because it's relevant. So I'm just taking that and repurposing that content that I already did. And so, yeah, I take each episode and then I'll break it down into all these social posts that I'm sharing out over time, emails, I'm turning it in, you know, and I turn, honestly, the best concepts that land the hardest in my videos, I turn them into pieces of my speaking. So when I'm, I turn it into parts of my keynotes and that kind of thing. So it's a lot, it's a lot, 80, 20, 20% 20 video creation, 80% just distribution and promotion. Ooh, that's a, I like that. We're going to, we're going to be using that for, I didn't coin that. That's Derek Halpern, but I mean, that's yeah. Repurposed. You repurposed his information for our podcast. I like exactly. Like We're that. always recycle. Reduce, reuse, recycle. That's right. <laughs> so, what do you think is the most important thing that anyone should do when they're getting started with YouTube? Just freaking start. Just start. I mean, if you remember Miranda Sings, like how she got started, she posted this like really crappy audition video thing or like it was I don't know it was some sort of voice funny you know she's she sings and she does it badly that's her joke that's her thing I mean her early videos were horrible and it's by putting the horrible stuff out that you're going to get to the good stuff because number one you're going to get through the squeaky wheel awkward beginning stages of of learning and feeling comfortable on camera and, and figuring everything out but it's the, the feedback from your audience that's going to point you in the direction of your next thing. And this is where I'm really encouraging people not to brand procrastinate because they're like, oh, I want to come up with the perfect, most polished, most amazing concept. Part of that polished, amazing concept is what lands the most with your, your people, right? And you're not going to find that out just staying in your own brain. So you got to be willing to just get out there and put out crappy videos. I tell people yeah. all the time. And I literally put it in my presentation and I say, do you have like, like the best video idea ever? And you just like, cannot wait to do it. And I say, don't do it until you get all your crappy videos out of the way first. 
like you want to save your good stuff for when there's people to listen and you've gone through those growing pains to get there. And honestly, I'm going to push back at that idea too, Desiree, because it's like a lot of the stuff that I do in my newer episodes of Awkward Marketing, I touched upon in those early Facebook Live videos that are so crappy, which I also put on YouTube just because, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, now that I've got a bigger audience and I've got higher production value, I will redo those videos. I mean, hey, didn't you hear that Taylor Swift is re-recording all her old albums because now she owns her own music, right? She, so she can own them. I mean, I don't think there's any shame. And if you do, if you've got a really great video idea, go out and do it while the idea is fresh, is my perspective. And then when you do have a bigger audience, redo it at a better, higher quality. You're gonna be able to improve upon the original content. It won't be the exact same thing. You know, like there's no reason why if you've got a great idea, do it now and then later do it again and do it even better. I mean, you know, that's how I would approach it. Well, I apparently have been proven wrong by some two approaches, two approaches. Yeah. I think for me, it's like, I think if like when you go like into like a production value of it, like a lot of people I get, usually it's bigger companies. They come to me and they're like, okay, we want to do video. I'm like, awesome. Let's get started. And they're like, oh no, we need this whole like expensive storyboarded sexy thing to do. And I was like, to tell one story. And I was like, well, you should probably start this with 15 stories. And they're like, huh? What? And so that's why I'm like, save it. Save it till it makes sense. And then you're able to get more from it and, and, and make sequential content and, and continue what you're doing. You don't want to just make one really great piece and then just like leave your audience hanging. And totally. I totally agree that. with that. So I think both of our ideas can coexist. Yes, definitely. So what is one of the most overlooked details or mistakes that you find a lot of YouTubers make? Um, probably SEO. Probably. And this is something that I can definitely get better at. Like I'm like really need to up my SEO game. Um, but I think a lot of YouTubers are not approaching their titles, their uh, video descriptions, their playlist descriptions from an SEO perspective um, and how, what are people searching for? How am I going to get found? You know, that kind of thing. So I think SEO is, is definitely important if you're, you're, because as we said earlier in this, in this discussion, you know, YouTube is a search engine. So you kind of got to think about what are people searching for? How do people find and look for the thing that you can help them with? Do you think there's still room for new creators? No, it's, I, I was the last one actually YouTube <laughs> came to me and they said, Rachel, this is it. You're, you're it. like, you really, and I was pulling up the rear Desiree. I really came in and laid in the game, but <laughs> of course there's always time for new creators. I mean, you know, there's always, there's always room for new voices in anything. And I think that, as I said earlier, it's not about saying, it's not about, contributing something that's never been contributed before almost everything has been done but it's how you look at this topic how you say it how you spin it has not been done right and so and that's really what it comes down to it's not about what you say it's about how you say it there's plenty of room um the world is waiting for you yeah there's only one you remember that guys yeah baby and it's definitely only one RK. So where can people find the one and only you on YouTube? The one and only me. You can go to awkwardmarketing.tv and it'll take you to my channel. Um, and, you know, send me, you can also send me a message in the beak of a dove. 
it'll get to me eventually. Nice. Well, talking to you was a magical and hilarious time. As always, thank you so much for being on RK. I appreciate it. You're the best. Thank you for listening to the Women of YouTube podcast. We would love to know what you thought about this latest episode. So make sure to tag us with hashtag Women of YouTube with your thoughts. And if you really love this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes to make the podcast gods and Phil over at TubeBuddy happy.